Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Who is Maddie Griffith Brown? And why is it important to know who she is at this particular time in Kentucky and American history? She's the subject of our Think Humanities podcast today with our guest, Megan Burnett. Professor Burnett is an associate professor of theater at Bellarmine University in Louisville. She has extensive background in theater production, has worked in all aspects of radio and television production, and has a a resume that includes teaching Shakespeare, presenting a a one-woman play, and researching and writing on settlement schools in eastern Kentucky. She's also a member of our Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau. Our Speakers Bureau is operating. It's a terrific program that you ought to know about if you don't. Uh, We are uh, fully functional virtually uh, during COVID-19. We want you to call on our our experts and scholars um, historians, writers, uh, humorous storytellers, and many others uh, like uh, Professor Burnett, um, and they're all available from our Speakers Bureau. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes, uh, but I first want to say hello to Professor Megan Burnett. Well, hello. Hello, Bill. It's a real honor to be talking with you because you have been someone I have looked at with great respect through your KET days. And uh, <laughs> uh, so this, this is a real honor. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's very, very kind of you to say that. Um, I run into uh, people all the time that uh, want to know how things are at KET. And um, uh, they'll even say, I saw you the other night uh, interview. Uh, and it's been, uh, it's been four years. So uh, how time flies. And, and that's okay. I, 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 I enjoy talking with people and it's always fun. And Sometimes I tell them where I am, and sometimes we just go on and have a conversation. (laughs) Um, So you have also uh, a really interesting background, and I want to talk a little bit about you first before we, uh, and you, introduce us uh, to the the person that you're uh, in our Speakers Bureau to, to talk about. But uh, your resume is uh, is quite extensive, and uh, I, I guess teaching theater at Bellarmine uh, sort of is at the top of your list. Uh, but tell us about your background and how you got involved in um, theater, and then the other things that you're doing. Uh, well, um, I guess I got uh, sucked into it. I saw a production of Man of La Mancha when I was um, in Oklahoma City, where I grew up. And I saw the woman playing Dulcinea cry real tears on stage. And I just thought, that's what I have to do. (laughs) Um, So I've been involved in theater uh, from a very young age. Um, Came to um, Louisville, to the University of Louisville, to uh, earn my Master of Fine Arts in theater. Um, I had earned a Bachelor of Science in Radio, Television, and Film Production at Texas Christian University. So I have utilize both of those backgrounds in various aspects of my professional career. Um, I started a women's theater company here in Louisville, co-founded it with three other women called the Pleiades Theater Company. And we were active for 10 years 
and giving a voice to not only women playwrights and female characters, but our mission included providing a space for training women in theater. Because at the time in 1995, um, I'm not sure there were any women leaders in any of the major arts organizations at that time. There was a real dearth of, um, uh, of representation. So we really wanted to make sure that women were be- being trained to take on that representation. Um, so that was part of the, the feminist theater movement in my own life that I took on and began to be interested in. And um, we worked with a playwright frequently, Nancy Gall Clayton, who has taken on the issue of uh, women in Kentucky and written many plays, uh, short plays, long plays, about women who were significant to Kentucky's creation and current way of life. Um, And I think she helped inspire me to do research. Um, So when I went down to Alice Lloyd College to teach speech and theater, um, which is in the heart of Appalachia, and it was run by Alice Lloyd Geddes and uh, uh, June Buchanan, I I thought, okay, I need to learn more about this. And that's when I did the research and wrote that um, my paper on uh, the women of the settlement school. And that's one of the talks that I give through the uh, Speakers Bureau. I've been to Alice Lloyd um, several times, if not many times. Um, it's always a, a, a great trip uh, in the Pippa Passes. And uh, frankly, I, I think that story uh, can be told many times, and you don't hear it enough about uh, how she uh, started, uh, she and uh, June Buchanan uh, started the school and, and did all the work that they did. Uh, I, I've always uh, tried to tell people that it's a place to visit because the cabin is yeah. still there uh-huh. and, and the work that uh, they, they did. Um, but wh- why Alice Lloyd? Were you, were you already at Bellarmine or had you weren't at Bellarmine yet and, and then got this job? And, and had you ever been to Pippa Passes before? No, I'd never heard of it. Um, I was actually teaching in the um, uh, Catholic school system. I was teaching drama at St. Raphael School here in Louisville and um, had been teaching as an adjunct for various schools in Louisville and really wanted to become a full-time theater professor. And the opening came up um, and I had I had actually um, seen the school um, before because I was brought down to um, uh, one of the schools in the area to give a, a um, to do an artist residency. Well, it got canceled because um, the water, something happened to the water. And so the school had to close, but Alice Lord was still open because it was on a different water system. So um, that, that person uh, brought me over to Alice Lloyd and um, I performed I performed my show for them, or I, I came in later to perform my play um, about Fanny Kimball that I was doing at the time and um, got to know it a little bit. And then when this job opening came open, um, I contacted the current professor of speech and theater and said, I really want this job. <laughs> Can you help me? 
And so I interviewed and, uh, and yeah, they offered it. And it was the most intriguing um, opportunity because it's one of only a very few work study colleges like Berea College. Um, it's, it, it's 600 students. It's a very small school. They have a, a very important role that they play in the community. And I think they've been one of the main trainers of teachers in that part of the state, you know, for 100 years. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a really great opportunity. Did you live on campus or did you live outside the, uh, the area? No, I did. Uh, I lived on campus. They uh, have campus housing for faculty and some staff because housing is so difficult to find in that part of the state. Um, so, yeah, it was very nice. Lived right on uh, the creek, Caney Creek. The campus is in a holler that's half a mile long from stop sign to stop sign. It's a half a mile long. So uh, it was a it was a home. You know, the campus was very much a place for family. Well, it's quite a unique uh, place. And I'm sure you um, have told many people about visiting there. Uh, I I haven't been in communication with the uh, the Step Brothers, but I, I think that uh, I haven't seen that 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 the presidency has changed and the vice presidency has changed. The two brothers um, and they they've been very they were very kind to me. I, I was yeah. down uh, to speak a couple of times, and uh, I just I think the whole area. Um, uh, of course, you have to you have to drive through Hindman uh, to get there, and that's yeah. another just marvelous, wonderful place. And, and that brings me to the questions about uh, your work uh, on settlement schools. Uh, and, and there are more than just the Heinemann Settlement School. But tell me a little bit about that background. Uh, sure. I had learned about the settlement schools through a production that the company Looking for Lilith Theater Company that's based here in Louisville, they had done a play called Crossing Mountains. And it was about the women who started the Heinemann Settlement School. And it was a fascinating production, what they did with it. And it introduced me to the way they do work. And they had um, done research in what they called devised work. Um, they devised this play out of research and interviews that they had done about that school. So I was really intrigued by the school. And then when I got down to Alice Lloyd and learned more of the history of the Caney School or the, the junior college, in which they had then changed into uh, Alice Lloyd College and made it a four-year school in the 80s, um, I was beginning to learn more about other schools. Um, there's Redbird Mission, there's Kingdom Come, the Pine Mountain Settlement School, and uh, there's several that are in that part of the state, and some of them are still very much in use or active, though some of their missions have changed. And I thought that was really interesting. And KET had done a documentary about some of them. So I was looking at that. And what struck me was that women started these schools. Women started these settlement schools because they saw a need for education and they saw a need for help. And so they would bring in doctors, they would train doctors, they would uh, train teachers. They um, helped the women and the children focus on, uh, some of them were focused on the, the home crafts, uh, you know, healthy cooking and um, quilting and things like making um, candles and soap and farming and gardening um, and canning those um, produce. 
And then um, some were like um, Alice Lloyd, some were more focused on academic training. So they all served a purpose. And there were so many because the landscape in that part of the state is very, um, very challenging. And, you know, at the beginning of the 20th century, we don't have paved roads. We don't have um, uh, easy to use vehicles. You know, you've got jolt wagons that, you know, could put your liver up where your heart's supposed to be, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so the the women and their families their, um, who helped create these schools put themselves into such challenging physically, physical situations because they were so passionate about helping the people in this mountain region achieve a, a certain amount of success and greatness for themselves. You know, they wanted to be a part of that. You know, Megan, a, a question about uh, that. And I'm just uh, thinking the visits that I've made there, uh, the work I've, I've done in, in that particular area, I'm not sure I ever knew or don't know today why they are called settlement schools. I've just always assumed uh, that was their name, Pine Mountain, Heinemann, and so forth. Do you know why they were, they were called settlement schools? I mean, a settlement sometimes is a small village or town, little of a very small area. It's a settlement. Uh, I, is, that, is that it? or? They came out of the tradition. Um, are you familiar with Hull House in Chicago? Um, so the ones here in Kentucky uh, were kind of inspired by that same movement. The, um, and those were inspired by settlement schools or community schools in uh, England, in London. Um, so there's some in uh, New York and then Hull House is the one I'm most more familiar with. Um, so I think in some places they were known as community centers or be, that became the term that was that was used, but they started as settlements. So I guess it was reflecting of this group of people have settled in this area um, like Hull House was a great place for migrants, um, for immigrants to this country. And the immigrants had settled in this part of Chicago, where then they created the Hull House. So, uh, but that is a good question, and I should look that up. Well, that's, that's um, you, you gave a good answer, um, and, and that's probably a part of it and, and uh, the reason that all of that's going on. Um, I must uh, tell everyone that one of our Chautauqua uh, actors, as you know, and, and uh, is uh, Jacqueline Cole, who portrays uh, Alice Lloyd and tells that that story, which is uh, really a great performance and uh, the, available through uh, Kentucky Chautauqua. And I'm also looking um, at your uh produced play uh, that you really had everything to do with, uh, A Light Unto the Mountains. Tell me about that uh, and when that was uh, performed. Yeah, President Joe Stepp, he and his brother Jim were very interested in finding different ways to share the story of Alice Lloyd College and of the work that Alice Lloyd, Gettys Lloyd, and uh, June Buchanan did to create that school. 
And Alice Lloyd College is the repository of an amazing um, collection of um, Appalachian history. Uh, it's an oral history that they have a collection of. And many of those oral histories have been um, transcribed. And we had a student at the time um, who was working in the library as his work-study job. And he was then digitizing those um, tapes that we had. So we were, um, and and I had a troupe called the Caudill, Caudill Players um, that, we used as a theater touring troupe to various schools and community centers. And I wanted to find a way to get that group to be a part of the annual tour that our choir does. And um, the Appalachian uh, Voices, the choir, they go to different parts of the country once a year and um, do amazing, beautiful work. And I wanted, I wanted to be a part of that selfishly. And so we thought, well, what about, what if we did a Reader Cedar piece that helped tell the story of Allisoy College from the voices of the people who were there and who knew her? So that's what we did. We found uh, material from those oral histories. Um, we found ways to connect it. So we, the, this, I guess the, the device was students, like seniors and juniors, um, talking to freshmen who've just come to college and telling the story and the myths and the the fun things and the silly stories, uh, as well as the serious moments. So the students perform the roles of themselves, and then they also took on the characters of people from the time that that college began. So it was a, a really great opportunity for the students to be a part of creating a work of art. Um, and then for us to connect with another art form, the choir, and share that story throughout the country um, as a part of the choir tour. So um, in various places, um, when there was enough time allowed, then the, um, we would start the, the evening off with our 10, 15 minute play, and then the choir would finish up the evening. So it was, it was a really, um, it was a cool project. I was very proud of it. So how long were you in um, Appalachia or that area? And, and what did Bellarmine bring you back to Louisville? I was down there for seven years. And yes, Bellarmine brought me back to Louisville. Um, I had been interested in, in uh, Bellarmine and, and I lived not too far from it. And so I'd known of its existence. And when there was an opportunity to um, come back and interview for the position, I just left at it. Um, not because I wanted to leave Alice Lloyd, but, but there are aspects of the work that I can do at Bellarmine that give me a chance to do more and grow more. Um, so yeah, so it was a great opportunity to shift. Well, uh, again, um, I am a, a big supporter of, uh, of anything in Appalachia. I mean, it's, uh, it's a, a fascinating uh, place to, to visit and to learn about. Uh, it, it certainly has its uh, challenges, uh, but at the same time, uh, the, the people there and the work that's being done is amazing, and it just continues to, to grow. So I'm glad you had that experience. Um, we're going to take a real quick pause here and come back and talk about uh, your Speakers Bureau subject, uh, and we'll be right back. 
At Spalding University's School of Creative and Professional Writing, students develop mastery of the writing skills highly prized in today's workplace, including arts and humanities organizations, government agencies, corporations, and small businesses. A professional writing student will explore opportunities writing for trade and consumer media, including reviews, profiles, interviews, and articles for sports, food, travel, health and science, and other publications. Learn more at spalding.edu slash school of writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Our Speakers Bureau, as I mentioned uh, earlier, is is quite a unique program uh, with all sorts of uh, different speakers uh, featuring uh, uh, everything from from scholars, historians, writers, and poets. Uh, We're talking with Professor Megan Burnett of uh, Bellarmine University, and she's a member of our Speakers Bureau. And uh, I started the program uh, this afternoon by saying, uh, who is Maddie Griffith Brown? So, uh, Professor Burnett, why don't you tell us who Ms. Brown was? All right. Uh, Maddie Griffith Brown is a woman from Owensboro, Kentucky. And we're not exactly certain when she was born. It might have been 1825. It might have been 1833. Uh, so there's a little bit of wiggle room as to what uh, her age is. Um I was fascinated by her because I was looking for subjects to add to my Speakers Bureau list of um, talks, and I wanted to find a woman from Kentucky who was an abolitionist and some form of artist. And uh, so her name came up in my research, and she had written this book called Autobiography of a Female Slave. So I got a copy of it. And there's an afterword in it written by Professor Joe Lockard, who is um, out of Arizona. And I think I read that first, and I was really interested in who she was and what he'd written about her. And then I read the book. Now, I have never read Uncle Tom's Cabin by uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe at this point. So I'm reading this book, and it is, uh, wow, um, the, the, the style of writing in the mid-19th century um, is quite formal, and uh, she very much was uh, writing in that way. And it's also quite dense, and uh, frankly, I had some trouble getting through it, but I, was, I couldn't put it down. I was really interested in what she had written from a female slave's perspective, from Um, the time of her childhood um, to the time when she is finally free and becomes a teacher. And I thought, wow, this, there's, there's more here. So I started to do some more research about her and find other people. There were two people who'd written about her and their articles were in the Filson quarterly. So I thought I need to let people know about her because Kentucky and Kentucky's children I believe very firmly need to know that there are heroes and heroines in their own backyard. Now, Maddie Griffith Brown wasn't one of the people of the abolitionist and suffragist movement who were well known, um, like um, Frederick Douglass or Susan B. Anthony, um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, even, even some of the others who might be um, a little bit obscure now, but were very well known then. Maddie was much more of a person who kind of was in support of 
the work that other people were doing. She wrote letters and she created flyers and she wrote petitions and she wrote articles and poems and things like that. And, and it really struck me. And, and part of this may come from a personal uh, background. The women who are in the office, the women who support the people who go out and speak are so essential to any work that's being done. And that was the work my mother did. Um, she was an administrative assistant at the time in the 80s, 70s and 80s. She was called a secretary. And, and for the longest time that I wanted to follow in her footsteps, but I made different paths and I went into acting and academics. But when I came across Maddie, I thought, oh my gosh, this is a woman who's a whole lot like my mother. These other people would not have been able to do the work they wanted to do had it not been for Maddie Griffith or, you know, and my mother. So I wanted to find out more about her and read more about her. And so I crisscrossed the country in different ways and found some research and online and, um, and just kept writing about her. And uh, then I decided I needed to write a play about her. So I also have a one woman show that I do about Maddie Griffith. So um, eventually I'm going to write a book. What, what part of Kentucky uh, did she uh, reside? Owensboro. She, um, her family had a plantation there and the Griffith family was quite well known in that state, in that part of the state. And um, there are still um, buildings and streets named for that family, but not her. (laughs) She became absolutely not mentioned, talked about after um, her decision to publish this book and then her freeing of her slaves. And I read in the description uh, that, uh, that you've written that we have on our website that there was some controversy about uh, the book being written by a white woman, um, but is titled Autobiography of uh, a Female Slave. How did that manifest uh, itself? Uh, She got some backlash uh, about that. Why was that? Well, um, I think at the time it was common for autobiographies to be written that weren't actually autobiographies. They would just title them that. So it wasn't uncommon for this kind of a a title to be used. Um, But I think there was, uh, there was shock that a white woman wrote this. So then there was disbelief. Could any of this be, you know, was this all just fiction? Was it just made up? Um, Was it all a lie? Um, Today we would call it fake fake news or something like that, right? Um, was it just something that she created out of whole cloth to share with her friends, share with um, her publisher, share with people that know she wrote about the things that she witnessed growing up on that plantation, living on that plantation, what she saw of the slave trade in Louisville, because it was, you know, very, very um, uh, much a part of the economic situation there in Louisville. And she traveled frequently there with her sister to purchase things and, you know, shop and things like that. When was the book, um, and and was it uh, at the time uh, labeled a novel? When was it published? It was published in 1857. I think she wrote it 1856, 1857, and then it was published in 1857. And it was uh, published as a novel, um, you know, as as a book. It wasn't a serialized 
she had other work. Uh, one of her novels, Madge Vertner, was serialized in the National Anti-Slavery Standard newspaper. Uh, but the autobiography was um, published whole. Did you have a difficult time finding the novel? Uh, no, actually, um, because Joe Lockhart had done some original, uh, some research about her. Uh, he had it republished um, with his afterword. And so that's the, that's the copy that I got a hold of. Um, now, because of um, publish on demand opportunities, you can get it in a variety of different ways. And you can also get it, um, I think, through Kindle. But when I go out to give a talk about her, I will take a copy of the one that you can get that with Joe Lockhart's afterward in it. And, uh, and I'll give a copy of that to the people that, uh, oh. so, so that way somebody, yeah. you know, a, additional people have copies of her work. Well, it sounds uh, fascinating. I know there's a lot more to tell about her life, uh, her involvement with the uh, suffrage movement and uh, uh, just the, the thought that, uh, a book published in in 1857, I think you said, uh, is so accessible, and and to hear that it's on Kindle is uh, is completely surprising. Um, so, uh, Professor uh, Burnett, uh, Megan Burnett of Bellarmine University, a member of our Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau, available to uh, virtually connect with people all over the state of Kentucky, all over the world, if they happen to be listening to the podcast and want to get in touch with you. So uh, we are really encouraging people during COVID-19 and who knows how long it's going to last, uh, that uh, we, we want to continue to promote our Speakers Bureau members as well as our Chautauqua uh, members and, uh, and be sure that, uh, that there are plenty of opportunities for people to listen and learn from you and we appreciate your time today. Well, thank you, Bill. I appreciate the opportunity to share Maddie Griffith's story and to talk to you. And I really love the Kentucky Humanities Council Speakers Bureau. It's, it's a great, great organization. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.